It is, it is good to see everybody today. Uh, again, thank you for joining us, Church Online and YouTube. We appreciate that. And thank you to all those who, despite the rapidly rising cost of gas, made it all the way to join us at uh, Church on Main Street. Last week, we talked about follow where. Uh, we talked about Chick Flick PG. And I just wanted to ask you, how many of you this week have tried on your follow where at least one time? Anyone? I mean, it's incredible. Don't give up. Um, you can still get dressed this week. You're not too late. Uh, last week we talked about the question, if you're going to be a Jesus follower, if you're going to choose to follow Jesus, what are you supposed to wear? And if you didn't see it, if you missed it, I've got such great news for you. You can go to intoone.ca, and you can go to our sermon archive, and you can watch or listen to all of the uh, previous, the former, the earlier episodes of Follow, and so much more there. Lots of great former series. We removed all the stinkers, so don't even worry. We, we've got a lot of previous messages there if you wanted to catch up with that. The name of the series that we're in right now is Follow, and we've been asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does that look like? And so we've looked at Matthew and Mark, and we're going Luke and John. We're uh, looking at stories where Jesus invited people to follow him, or he started to talk to them about what does it mean to follow Jesus. And so we've answered the question, if you're going to follow Jesus, where does it lead? And then last week, we asked the question, what are you supposed to wear? Uh, the answer Again, will seem a little cryptic. If you missed the last episode, um, you should put on your follow wear, right? Paul's personal clothing brand, and that we remember that by Chick Flick PG. But today, I want to give you the fine print. The, you know the fine print. You know when you sign a contract, there's a reason you sign the contract. There's the big thing, the big promise. And then you have to look closer because there is the fine print underneath. And as we've talked about throughout this series, there are all kinds of of advantages to following Jesus. That's pretty much what the whole series is about, looking at the ways that there are advantages to following Jesus. But as many of you have discovered, and as everybody ultimately does discover, at some point along the way, it's going to cost you something. There is a price to pay to follow Jesus, and it's in that moment when you discover whose you really are. It's in that moment that you discover, am I really a follower or am I simply a consumer? So today I want to take you to a passage of Scripture, Mark chapter 8. If you have a physical Bible, you can pull it out at home, pull it out here, pull it out. Maybe you've got a downloaded one on your phone you can use, like YouTube, not YouTube, version. Um, and if you don't have one of these, you should totally get that, download it now and get her done. Then you can have it with you all the time. Mark chapter 8, Jesus realizes that there's people who've been following him. They've been around him for a long time, and they're just kind of along for the ride. They're called consumers. They're not necessarily followers. And so he does a little teaching, and he opens up a door to some big, big life questions that I want us to wrestle with a little bit today. So as we look at the fine print, we realize that there are huge benefits to following Jesus. The influence of Jesus just opens the door to being a better father, to being a better mother, to be a better parent, to be a better person, to be more honest, to forgive more quickly, to be more generous, and to serve with greater enthusiasm. Huge benefits to following Jesus. Jesus even said, if you obey what I teach, you're like a person who builds their house on a rock. 
Um, if you're a person who doesn't obey what I teach, then you're like a person who builds their house on the sand. And then when the storms of life blow in, if you built your house on the rock, you're left standing. If you built your house on the sand, you're not. And for some of you, you've seen that. Some of you, you've lived that. But you see people who face extraordinary difficulty. You've watched it happen. And, and, and in their life, and, and it just goes on, it seems, and they've had a, a firm faith foundation. And, and you watch them, and, you, and you, you see from a distance, and you go, wow, look at them go. How are they so able to do what it seems so hard for everyone else to do? So huge benefits in following Jesus. But at some point, there's a price to pay. And so it's at this point, Mark chapter 8, that Jesus explains the first century physical, right there in the moment followers. He explains and talks to them, what does this look like? So let's jump to verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on uh, to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, just conversation, who do people say I am? Now, I don't recommend that you do this at lunch today. Don't go to a bunch of people and say to them, okay, what are people saying about me, Right? Because you might not want to know what people are saying about you, and maybe even worse for you would be the fact that they're not actually saying anything about you. But Jesus knew that there was kind of a buzz going on around, and so he wants to say, what's going on? Verse 28, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Now, this is important because we're just jumping into history, but John the Baptist had just been beheaded, and people thought maybe he had come back to life in the form of Jesus. So, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. 29, but Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, immediately, he's got his hand up, right? He's going, me, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know. He's there. Peter answered, Verse 29, you are the Messiah. Now, Messiah is a, a Jewish term. The Greek term is Christ. Some of you thought Christ was actually Jesus' last name. Not so. And whether you use the Greek Christ or the Hebrew Messiah, it really means anointed one. And the Jewish people, the ancient Jewish people, were waiting for God to send his anointed one. And Peter goes on, I know who you are. You're the one that we've all been waiting for our whole lives. You're the anointed one. And Jesus responded this way in verse 30. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And we say, what? I thought we were supposed to do, we, that's what we were supposed to do. We're supposed to tell who people who uh, Jesus is. And Jesus says, you know, bingo, that's the right answer. You got it, Peter, but shh, it's not time yet for everyone to know who I am. So, once he has identified himself to his closest followers, then he begins to tell them that there may be a price um, to pay as they keep following. So, verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man, now, Son of Man is a prophetic title, comes from the prophet Daniel, uh, another way of saying God's chosen one. He's saying, that's me, okay? The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and he must be killed, and after three days rise again. 32, and, and, and he spoke plainly about this, and Peter, who, remember, he had just recognized, hey, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Still, look at the picture that we've got in front of us. Jesus is there. He's telling his closest followers, here's what's going to happen. Things are going to get tough now. 
And I hope that you'll continue to follow me. You have been following me, but it is going to get hard, and I want you to know that. And Peter's like, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Time out, Jesus. And he kind of pulls him, right? He pulls uh, Jesus out of the crowd, and he says, come over here. Come over here, Jesus. Look, don't go all negative on us, okay? Things are good, right? I mean, people are following. Look at the crowd, right? Everywhere we go, there's a crowd. We're famous. You're famous. I'm kind of famous. And you know, then John, well, John's not as famous as me, but, he, but, but things are going really well. What do you mean? You're going to be arrested and you're going to be killed. You're not going to be killed. You're the Messiah, you're not going to be killed? Are you kidding? Come on. There was that storm. You remember that storm, right? We're all out on the, on, the, on, the, on the lake, and you say, hey, storm, cut it out. And the weather obeys you. How are you going to be killed? No. No more on this negative, Jesus. Okay, let's go back over there. We'll join with everybody else. Why don't you talk about prayer? You're good when you talk about prayer. No more of this death and dying kind of stuff. 33. But when Jesus turned, he looked at his disciples, and he rebuked Peter. Jesus did what Peter had just done. Jesus now rebukes Peter. Verse 33, but when Jesus turned and he looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. And listen to why. Listen to why he was so um, harsh with Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, this is a big verse for many of us, okay? You simply don't have God's concerns in mind. You've got human concerns. So let me explain a little bit about what's going on here. He calls Peter out. He says, Peter, let's just be honest, all right? Don't try to hide from me. You've enjoyed following me, and that's great, because it's been great, hasn't it? I mean, you're now Peter the fisherman, right? Everybody knows you, and it's good to follow me. But Peter, you are acting like a consumer, not a follower. A consumer is in this for what they can get out of it. I want you to be my follower, which means when, when you and I go somewhere that's not just purely pleasurable, when I, when I go some, somewhere that it might cost you something, I want to know that you're with me. And the reason I'm rebuking you so harshly is because you've just exposed something. You're not concerned about what's going to happen to me. You're concerned about what's going to happen to you because of what might happen to me. And then Jesus decides to use this as a teaching moment, right? Not simply for the apostles, not just for Peter, but for everyone in the crowd. And then he reveals the fine print, which is to follow Jesus, what it means Verse 34, then he called the crowd. Because you remember, Jesus travels with the apostles, but there's quite often a crowd around them. So there's crowd and apostles. He called the crowd um, to him and, and along with his disciples, and he, and he began to teach. And so he says, you guys, you guys, come on, everyone, huddle up, come in here. Buddy, have a seat. Come on over here. Apostles, you're front row. Uh, you, re you really need this. And Peter, front and center. I want you down here. Okay, everybody, listen up. As everybody gathers around, he reveals to them what it's going to mean from this point on to follow him. This is important. What I'm about to say, if, you, if you've already checked out for a little bit, come back in. I need you for at least another minute. This is a literal, physical, in the moment, eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball conversation with Jesus. And what Jesus says to them is, 
is absolutely literal because of what is actually, literally just about to happen to him. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he is going to be arrested, and he is going to be tried, and he is going to be crucified. And if you follow too closely behind the person that is arrested, tried, and crucified, you might very well be arrested, tried, and crucified as well. You might be confused as someone who is part of that group, and he just wants them to know up front what's about to happen. Now, here's the great news for you and for me. That won't happen to you. No matter how closely you follow Jesus, you will not be crucified. You may have to make some difficult decisions, but nothing like what these guys that he's talking to are just about to face. He goes on, 34. Then he called the crowd to him, and, and uh, along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple, which is just another way of saying follower, um, they must deny themselves and take up their, and when, when he starts to hint at this, they're just freaked out, right? This scares them to death. You must take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to really be my disciple, whoever wants to be my follower, not simply a Jesus consumer. I like to follow Jesus because it's kind of cool. There's perks. I, I choose to obey Jesus because I'm a better person and things go better. Our marriage, oh man, so much better since we both started following Jesus. That's Good. There are huge benefits to following Jesus. But if you really want to be his follower from time to time, you are going to have to deny yourself. Now, that's not some big, uh, scary theological kind of thing. You do this all the time. You deny yourself. It simply means to say no to you. So here's something that I want, but I don't think that's the best for me. So I say no to me. And I've got two options. This would be fun, but I think this is more beneficial. I think this is more healthy. So I'm going to say no to me. So we all know what it means to say no to ourselves, to deny ourselves. And Jesus says there is going to be a time, there's going to be moments, there's uh, going to be forks in the road, there's crossroads, there are going to be intersections, there are going to be points of tension. When what I want for you and what you want for you are different. And in that moment, you have to decide if you're going to be a consumer or a follower. And if you decide to be a follower, you are going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to say no to you in order to follow me. And then he looks at the crowd and he says, I don't want you to miss where this is going, okay? I don't want to pull any punches. I want you to be fully informed I don't want you to be surprised. If you follow me from this point today, you better mentally strap on the idea that you're going to have to take up a cross and follow me. Now, when we think of the cross, we think of like jewelry, right? Or some sort of filtered picture. Um, you've seen a couple of movies, and yeah, they're gory, but there's kind of a nice soundtrack in the, in the background, and, and if you muted it, um, the, the, it, it, didn't, it didn't even seem so bad, right? You've never smelled a crucifixion. You've never felt the drops fall off of somebody getting crucified. It, it, it wasn't um, all glorified and romanticized, but the group sitting there listening, those people in the front rows, 
They had passed by so many Roman crosses because Rome leaves them out for a long time to terrify people into submission. It was a horrible way to die. And Jesus says, you need to understand, if you're going to follow me from this point forward, it may just cost you something. You're going to have to deny yourself. Now, you can imagine that they are scared to death. All right? Some, some of the people in the crowd are like, okay, good talk. Um, this is where I, I got to go. I have another thing I got to get to. I got to say bye-bye. This has been great. Really enjoyed it. Miracles. Love them. Okay? Healed my mother-in-law. And, you know, I was kind of conflicted about that. But it was a miracle, and I like miracles. You fed everybody. That was amazing. And then I heard about that walking on the water. Like, what? That was awesome. But now you're telling me that this show that I've been watching might cost me something? You know, I'm not so ready for this. I'm not so sure that following you is going to be worth it from now on. And Jesus knows the hearts of men. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows it scares us to death. You've got your whole life ahead of you. And so you think, maybe, maybe I should uh, just start following Jesus when, I don't know, 60? Maybe 80? What kind of trouble could I get into when I'm 60 or 80? I think I'm just going to wait to follow Jesus until later. Those are logical thoughts. I understand that's why some of you, uh, it's, it's why you haven't been in church for a long time. Because it just costs too much to follow Jesus. You know, so you say, you know what, I'll, be, I'll just be back later, right? It's not that you don't believe. It's just that you don't want to say no to you. I understand that. You know, Jesus understood stood that as well. And so he's looking at this crowd. It, it's just like us. Uh, and they're thinking, I don't know. He didn't tell us this all up front. And Jesus says, now, before you leave, before you get all freaked out and, and, and before you get too worried, let me put the invitation that I'm giving to you to follow me in a larger context, okay? So I'm telling you, if you're not a Bible reader or you don't take Scripture too seriously, this, this is brilliant what's about to happen here. These are the kinds of things that, uh, as you read them, uh, I, I think, who could make this stuff up? Because that's the assertion for a lot of people. It's just all made up. If somebody made this up, they should have taken credit for it because it's brilliant. So listen to what Jesus has to say to this crowd, suddenly worried about, is it worth it to really follow you? Verse 35, for whoever wants to save their life, there you go, okay, that's me, right? You like to save your life? You go, yes. Well, you do too, right? Anybody here want to save their life? And you go, yes. Everybody in the crowd is like, okay, we're on the same page. I'm there. Because Jesus is a brilliant communicator. He gets audience engagement. And so he says something that everyone in the audience is going to go, yeah, I'm there. I'm with you. I agree. There's some common ground. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Oh, yeah, that's right. No matter what kind of environments I stay away from, no matter how many bad habits I break, no matter how hard I work to save my life, every day um, I'm going to face the fact that one day I'm going to lose my life. All right, so yeah, we're, we're with you, Jesus. Keep going. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me, whoever loses their life, well, that's everybody. That's right. But whoever chooses to follow me and in the process of following me loses their life that they're going to lose anyway, loses something of value that they're going to die and leave anyway, loses a relationship that is going to end anyway, 
Jesus says, anyone who loses what they consider life because they chose to follow me and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Or as the famous, groundbreaking, pioneering missionary Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What? He says, yeah, I know. I know I'm scaring you to death, but I just need you to know that the end game, where we're heading, that, that the life that you're trying to save, you're going to lose. But if you follow me, if you lose your life or whatever life is to you, if you follow me and you lose that opportunity, if you follow me and in following me you lose that relationship, if in following me you lose something that you consider valuable, I just want you to know you were going to lose it anyway. But if you lose it for me, if you lose it because you lost it, because you decided to follow me, and there was a fork in the road, and you had to say no to you and yes to me, I'm telling you, you're saving your life. What seems like a loss is no loss at all, because whatever it is you lose, whatever it is you're, you're going to lose, you're going to lose it anyway. I'm giving you an opportunity to lose it with a purpose and a meaning attached to it. But he's not done. He's not, even, he's not even really started. Listen to this. He asked them uh, a really important question. 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? And forfeit here means to, uh, to pay, to give up, to trade in, to lose. He says, let's play an imaginary game, okay? Let's imagine you had everything. Let's imagine you had everybody. Let's imagine you had every opportunity. Let's imagine that people looked at you and said, man, she has the whole world. Would you look at him? He's got the whole world. Look where he lives. Come on, look what she's driving. Look how he travels. Look where she's traveling. Look how he's traveling. I mean, that guy, that couple, that person, that woman, they have the whole world. He said, think about this. What good is it if you somehow gain the whole world? In other words, just use your wildest imagination. You've got it all. However that works for you, whatever that looks like for you, what good is it if you gain the whole world and then at the end of the life that you're trying so hard to save but that we all lose, what if at the end of that life you can't hold on to anyway? What if you forfeited, gave away, gave up, traded away your soul. If you're a person that thinks, you know, well, well, I don't, I don't even believe that there is a soul. I believe that when you die, you die. You know, this, this whole thing's not a problem for me. Did you know that most people in Jesus' Jewish community believe that too? There was a powerful, very influential group called the Sadducees. They believed that once you die, that's it, that you are here on earth right now for the pleasure of God, and then once you die, that's it. There is no afterlife. That's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> that's great. Little Bible trivia, great Bible jokes. Makes you popular at every party. So the Sadducees actually taught there is no resurrection, right? There's no life after death. And the reason that they believe this is because if you read all of the Old Testament from Genesis to the prophets, you won't find anything about heaven. 
There's no teaching in the Old Testament that says, here's how you go to heaven. Here's what it's like in heaven. Here's what happens in the afterlife. So the whole Old Testament was written as if once you die, that's the end. And then there was a group of Jewish people that came along, and they said, no, we think that there is an afterlife. And then Jesus came along later on, and He said, you're right. There is a heaven. There is a soul. Most of you believe that, even if you're not a Christ follower, even if you're not even a Christian, even if you don't believe in Jesus at all, um, even if you're not really religious in your beliefs, something like 95% of North Americans believe that there is something beyond this life. You know, whatever it is, people believe there is an afterlife, and Jesus believed there is an afterlife. And now you just use your imagination. What if at the end of the most awesome life imaginable, you realize that by living this incredible life, you had forfeited eternity. You forfeited your soul. And you say, what does that mean? What does it mean you forfeit your soul? He doesn't tell us. Not here. But I think that it's not good to forfeit your soul right? And as you're thinking about this great question, he continues, 37, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So he said, now let's, let's turn it around and think about it this way. Let's say that you are at the end of your awesome life, and you've got massive possessions, okay? You've got everything that you could possibly want. You are like the greatest. You are the goat. You have amassed just incredible wealth. You're a billionaire taking trips into space on your own spaceship, but you're at the end of your life, and it dawns on you. Maybe an angel visits you, and all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, I'm about to go on into an eternity where I have forfeited my soul. And Jesus says, in that moment, what would you trade to get your soul back? What would you trade so that you didn't have to forfeit your soul? And everybody knows the answer to this question, right? You would trade everything. You would trade it all. There would be no negotiation. What do I have to do to not forfeit my soul? Give you everything I have? No problem. You got it because I'm going to lose it anyway. And in that moment, Jesus answers both questions. What good is it for you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? It's no good. And what what would you give in exchange for your soul? Everything. To which Jesus, the brilliant teacher, says, look at what you've just discovered about yourself. Those of you who are afraid to follow me, you're nervous about where this is going to (sighs) go, You're nervous because you're afraid I'm going to have to say no to myself. You just made a remarkable discovery about yourselves. Here's what you just discovered. You consider your soul of greater worth than all of your possessions. You consider your soul of such great value that there are scenarios that you can imagine under which all the things, all of your potential things, you would give them all up in order to save your soul. This is a remarkable, life-changing, defining moment. What a discovery for an individual. And so the people in Jesus' audience who were scared to follow Him, they realized, oh my goodness, you're telling us that even if we have to deny ourselves to follow you into Jerusalem now, 
even if we have to deny ourselves in order to be your follower, that whatever we give up to follow you, we were going to have to give it up anyway because you can't take anything with you. And we all lose everything eventually. But you're saying that we have an opportunity to give it up in such a way that it impacts the destination and the shape and the future of our souls. So this really isn't as big of a sacrifice as you made it sound like to begin with. And Jesus would say, exactly. Now remember, these are real people, literal people that are about to get up from where they are and go in a direction where their lives will be physically threatened. The good news is that's not going to happen to us. But here's what he says, if any of you talking about the people that are kind of all around right there in front of him. Verse 38, if, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. What is that? You, you know the Bible talks about that. It's just one of those future things that we have to give an account for our lives, the final judgment. And here's the encouraging thing. The guy that was right here, front and center, right? It was that guy that, that saw this, and, and he thought, I'm never going to be ashamed of you, Jesus. Who was that? You remember? It's Peter. You know, Peter, you're the Messiah. I recognize you. It's Peter. I'm going to rebuke you, Jesus. I got a couple of pointers I'd like to share with you. It's Peter. I'm never going to be ashamed of you. And not too long after this moment right now, a middle school girl, a junior high girl, comes up to Peter and asks him, aren't you one of those Galileans? Never heard of him. Peter denies Jesus. And you know what Jesus did? Oh, man, he kicked his butt right out of that group. No. He says, Peter, I forgive you. Now, I'm going to put you in charge of the whole enterprise. Don't do that again. And Peter died for what he said he saw, a risen Savior. So what's the moral of this story? It's a good one. It's that salvation is free. It costs us nothing. It costs us nothing. Salvation is free to us, that you can become a child of God by placing your faith in Christ, and it costs you nothing. Because at the cross, Jesus paid the price for our salvation. Salvation, uh, becoming a Christian, becoming a member of the household of God through Christ is absolutely free. You can't do anything to earn it. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing but following Christ in your lifestyle, following Christ in this life, following Christ in this generation, this sinful and adulterous generation is going to eventually cost you something. At some point on this road trip, there is going to be a conflict of interest, and you're going to have to make a decision to make in that moment. You will know that this is the moment that we were talking about here today. It's not going to be something that everybody else has to do. It won't necessarily be something everybody else needs to stop doing. It won't be uh, something that everybody around you agrees needs to be done or not done. 
it will be inside of you. Your conscience will come alive, and you will just, you're just going to know. If I'm going to be a Jesus follower, I can't go there. I can't participate in that. I need to stay. No way. I need to leave. I need to not call back. I need to take that job. I need to not move. I need to not take that raise. I need to not take that position. You're going to know. It's not going to be a verse and it's not going to be a sermon. You're just going to know. Oh my goodness, I get it. This is it. This is that point. This is that moment when I have to decide, am I a Jesus consumer or am I going to be a Jesus follower? Because to follow Jesus from this point forward is going to cost me something. It's just going to feel like a right or wrong kind of issue for you. And not only that, it's going to feel like a little bit of a death. Because in some cases, it might just be death of part of your dream. You know, I I always dreamed that someday I would. And then I got to that moment and I realized that to follow Jesus, I had to die to my dream. I always imagined that, you know, one day I would grow up and I always imagined and and I thought maybe someday... Maybe one day, and then I got to that place where I actually had that opportunity, and I had realized that because of the circumstances, that if I went forward with this thing, I would basically be turning my back on Jesus, and it's going to feel like a death. But you know what else it's going to be? In the long run, it's going to be a defining moment for you because if you decide to say no to you and yes to your Savior, you will discover something that you can't discover any other way. You will discover in that defining moment whose you really are. And in that moment, you'll discover I'm not just a consumer. I am a follower of Jesus because I said no to me in order to say yes to him. And as difficult as it is and as agonizing as it is, as emotional as it is, I wish this moment for all of you because in that moment, you will never be the same again. And when that moment comes, you will know. If you've been following Jesus to the best of your ability, you know, I don't know if I know it all, I don't know if I believe it all yet, but you're learning, you're getting it. When that moment comes, you're going to know. You will know. Oh, this is the thing that we were talking about. This is that thing. I can't say yes to me and to Jesus. I'm going to have to say no to one of us. You're going to know. And you know something? I think you're going to do the right thing. I think that God has been so faithful to you in the past that when you get there to that moment, it's going to be like, this is that thing. Yes, it's difficult, and yes, it's emotional, and it does feel like a death because I just thought that this was going to be part of my future. For others of you, you feel like I've just been looking over your shoulder all week, right? For the past week, I can't believe this. This is exactly what I'm dealing with right now. This is exactly what I have to, there's there's somebody that I have to give a decision to, an answer to this week. I got a text on my phone right now that I haven't answered yet. There's an email that I need to write waiting for me. There is a situation that I've got to deal with soon and I've just been torn because my conscience bothers me. It feels like a moral imperative to walk away. So let me just say something to you. Since you just acknowledged that you value your soul more than anything else in this world, 
And since it can't be a coincidence that I'm talking about this today, and you're watching or you're sitting here, um, and since God has been so faithful to you in the past, come on, follow. Take the risk and follow. Trust Jesus. Follow him. And, and, and in the future, this, this is going to be a story that you tell. It's going to be your story, and it'll be your story of what it is like for you to be a Christian, to be a Jesus follower. I was following Jesus, doing the best I could, and then there was this thing. Now, which story do you want to tell? How do you want it to go? Will it be the story of, I couldn't say no to me, or I decided to say no to Jesus? I couldn't say yes to Jesus, or I decided to say yes to Jesus. Which story do you want to tell? Follow. One last thing. In that crowd, right out in front of Jesus, there was a bunch of people. And do you know what happened to all of the people that said, no, that's too much to ask? Do you know what happened to them? Me neither. I have no idea. But you know what I bet? I bet that on the other side of a resurrected Savior, I bet on the other side of that day when the streets of Jerusalem were packed with people because Jesus had risen from the dead, I bet you that they would give anything to go back in that moment and follow. Salvation is free to you. won't cost you anything. Following Christ, it will eventually cost you something. Refusing to follow Jesus... I think it will cost you a lot, lot more. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for preserving this conversation between your son and, and his followers like us trying to follow. Thank you for preserving it for us to, to wrestle with. And Father, I know that this kind of a message lands in many, many places for different people. Would you give each of us the wisdom to know what we should do with what we've just heard? And then, Holy Spirit, please give us the courage to do it. I pray for all of us who live and who work in a culture where your name is rarely used in a positive way, that you would give them eyes to see and that, you would that they would choose to follow you. Speak to us now that you might speak through us later. Amen.